Yo, 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 what up, people on the internet? I'm so happy to be back here with you. And uh, just before we get started with the Outside the Box podcast, I'd just like to say thank you to you guys. You guys have been following the show, and the show has been growing every single week. We are seeing more of you subscribe to us as a podcast on Apple and on Google Play and listening on SoundCloud. And we just want to give a big thank you to you guys because we really, really appreciate it. And as you hear, I'm saying thank you to you guys from us because I can't do this show all by myself. Uh, If this show is an omelet... I am simply the onions on top. They are the pot. They are the pan. They are the fire. They are the eggs. They're all of the other vegetables. I'm simply the onions to add that little extra spice of flavor. And uh, again, I can't do this show by myself. So let me throw it to my man, Nick. Uh, omelets? I don't even know where to go with that one. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe I'm just the like Tabasco sauce then. Uh no, uh, my name is Nick Engvall. Been doing sneaker stuff for about 10, 12 years, something like that. And um, I'm basically, like I said, just just the hot sauce here. Um, I'm, we're we're really here just to talk with Tiffany and pretend to be cooler than we really are. So, um, Tiffany, want to introduce yourself? <laughs> I'm Tiffany Beers, a former Nike employee. I've been uh, developing, designing, and engineering sneakers for about 13 years. And uh, I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, and I consult on innovation and product development. And yeah, I, I'm a state championship winning volleyball player. See, see, there it is. There it is. She tries to sneak it in. She tries to sneak it in and make it seem like, oh, I'm just a regular person like the other two people that are on this podcast. But no, no, not only does she innovate, not only does she consult, not only does she design, but... Apparently, she can smash a volleyball into your face from the front row and uh, doesn't really talk about it. Just keeps that on the low. Hey, I just have an extra skill. I'm a master at volleyball. I play the front row. But it's cool. It's cool. I'm not even I'm not even going to dig into it. I'll just let it go. I'll just let it pass by. Just know that we're we're unpe- we're peeling back the layers. Tanya, I love this show. Well, I don't have a I love sexy this show. Just, radio so voice. More. So that well, well. <laughs> Don't don't you flatter me there, Tiffany. <laughs> anyway, uh, again, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, this is the Outside the Box podcast where we talk about a little bit of everything, but it's all rooted in the world of sneakers because that's where we all come from. Uh, but first, we want to talk about some things that Nike is doing. Nike is doing a bit of a, a digital reboot, I guess you could say. Um, they're really doing a lot of focus on what the nike plus membership means to a consumer and i think this is a very interesting angle uh that the brand can take and you see a lot of it obviously is a growth strategy for nike and growing in this digital age but it also i think it benefits consumers as well there's a store here in la called nike mel it's nike melrose or nike at melrose or something like that and the store is based on the things that people in LA buy. So they look at your Nike Plus membership of the people in a certain zip code and they see what those people are buying and they stock the store with those sort of things and exclusives to the LA area. So this kind of, I have two trains of thoughts when I think about this. First is they're customizing the experience to the local area which kind of reminds me of the local shop owner and what like the local shop does for the community nike is kind of taking that approach but doing it through digital 
but then the other approach is this can probably imagine this helps with manufacturing and seeing what people are actually buying and rolling out products to different area that maybe are influenced by LA um, but I mean what how important I guess I'm gonna toss this to Nick first how important is the digital and that data uh, for companies like Nike when they open up shops like that or just in general I mean I think that it's so crucial I think that you know we, we kind of touched on this on a previous episode you know where there's so much going on in a regardless of LA like LA is you know LA and New York kind of their own thing like with in terms of like influence across the world but if you look at like even like Houston Houston has just a completely different sneaker game than the rest of the world and even down like in Florida like it's a little bit different like Chicago is still so Jordan oriented because you know he Michael meant so much to that area so I think like it's great to see this I hope that it you know like me like I live pretty close to that store so it's going to be you know uh, hopefully catered more to the stuff that I'm into which you know might be I would think like seeing more of the Air Max stuff you know like they're harder to find when you're hunting them down you know like some of the more limited stuff that comes out you know I'm driving all the way to Santa Monica sometimes to go to the Nike store to find that stuff so I think it's a cool um, direction that they can take and I think that you know the the better you can get with it you know we're used to you know the, the internet kind of puts things in front of us based on what we already consume right like I like cars so I see car advertisements all over the place you know I like sneakers I like streetwear so I, I see those ads pop up almost everywhere I go on the internet and I think that the the in-person, you know, store experience should be that, right? It's a little, it's a little scary in one sense, you know. Like I think of like that old Tom Cruise movie with that, um, you know, with the the signs, you know, the digital signs popping up, talk, saying his name and stuff, which is a little creepy. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. at the same time, like, like it, you know, me personally, there's no reason to put a, you know, let's say, I don't know, like, uh, you know anything that's like i can't think of something that that irrelevant but like you know there's no there's no reason to to be talking about strollers for me because i have no reason to be thinking about buying a stroller right like so so to waste that ad space or that shelf space in a store on anything that's like that you know the the more of that you can cut out the more likely i am to buy as a consumer tiffany what about you how do you feel about like this whole digital experience where they're like kind of they're taking your data are, are you? I shouldn't say taking your data. That sounds <laughs> nefarious. Um, where they're where they're using your data to create a more customized experience. I think it's interesting. I mean, I want to know more about the logistics of it. Like, because uh, you know, if I've already bought that, I guess you're going to so- show me similar products, which saves me time. Like, if Amazon or you know Google's listening to me and showing me ads for something that I just need to get and go. Like, it saves me time, which I like. But, like, if I'm exploratory shopping and it all I see is, like, this one kind of product, like, I'm kind of irritated. Like, like you're, you're not reading my need because I'm looking for something different. So, I guess if, you know, like, if you're talking, like, how local are you talking? How regional are you talking? Like, in how many Nike stores are in L.A., you know? Are they going to all be kind of centric about a different topic? Like, is one going to be running once, you know? Like, I guess it all depends on how they do it and what they do it. But typically, if I've already bought the product, I don't need another one. So how does that work, too, you know? 
Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. I, I thought about I thought about that as well. So from what I understand, it's based on the five zip codes around the store and 22 other random zip codes in the L.A. area. Um, they didn't specify exactly what that area hmm. that area is, um, but it's like just random zip codes around L.A. And uh, they they have basically like the essentials, I guess, things that people are constantly buying in the store so it's almost like a like a grocery store i guess in that sense where they're like okay people are going to come get eggs people are going to come get milk people are going to get soda get potato chips so they have that like in that's in the back of the store where they have like the basic essentials like the the compression pants the running shirts socks, and yeah. you know the socks those sorts of things but then they also have like sneakers and customized stuff around throughout the store um the something that i found really interesting about the um the rollout and at the store though is that it's not hype or heat product that's going to be inside the store so for nick and i it's not necessarily somewhere that we would want to go shop because it's not like hyped up product so i found i found that to be pretty interesting and an interesting take on a on a store or a concept store in that in that sense because generally those sorts of stores cater to the energy consumer and this seems like it's doing really the opposite hmm. i was gonna say so that's interesting in that um <laughs> snafu um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that like based on when they purchased did they happen to say like the purchase history from three months ago two months ago because I, I still think like to your point jacques like heat product is gonna matter like the essentials only get you so far and it's not really that exciting. Like I might as well just order them all on Amazon. Like for me, essentials all come from Amazon done. Um, Mm, And so like, I wouldn't really want to go to a store to just get an essential. Like I, it's more like I want to try in a new product and I don't want to have 10 shipped to my house and then have to deal with the return. And if I forget to return it or any of that stuff. So Mm. yeah, I, I think they have a lot to work out in it, but I was kind of assuming that it was some heat product, actually, and I was trying to think of how on earth are they going to produce that, because they can't predict what's going to be heat, necessarily, unless it's a Jordan that they haven't released in the recent decade. Right. <laughs> See, I would think of it as, like, more, you know, like, you know, total assumption, but, like, based on your videos, Tiffany, right? Like, most of the stuff that you're buying as a consumer is, like, you know, the let's say running shoes is that's that's a pretty broad um you know genre like you have even just like going back to like we talked about boost you know like there's so many different variations of you know boost and and the slight variances across even with nike right like there's so many different versions of you know like the you know the variations of like the flyknit trainer over the years or even like the newer stuff right where we're getting into um you know, the React stuff, like that stuff has three or four different versions. So I think like, you know, taking us out of the equation and looking at like the, you know, kind of 80% of consumers that don't really know the difference between, you know, the three or four different React shoes that are out there. Um, That consumer is more likely probably to go in and, and want to try things on and have that experience in person where I think like, you know, as they develop this kind of approach it could easily swing to you know i think to jacques point about the grocery store you're absolutely going to have some form of energy product in there like they they need that to just even to get the what what i would consider the energy of the business 
um, and the influencers and you know creators talking about that product or talking about that store specifically, they want to have mm-hmm. that product in there, but very limited, right? It's like it's more you know um, you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see less. You know, let's say LeBrons, right? Like they probably won't have LeBrons in a store like that, or they'll have a very limited number of LeBrons. Where like you know the shoes that are more um, broadly uh, accepted or, or liked, like a the, yeah, like a yeah. Kyrie or something, will be maybe be their pinnacle basketball shoe for that store. But the cool thing about it is, if like to your point about the timeline of where these people are buying what, you know, you might be able to refine that so well that like it would potentially help them be ahead of the curve when they start seeing like basketball shoes come back in into style. And, you know, if people are buying basketball shoes online and, and you can shift, you know, more of that store into basketball, using that data, to, you know, to kind of predict it, maybe not, you know, I, I would assume they're probably going back like, you know, quite a ways to make it really valuable. But like yeah. seasonally too, like, you know, I think that's always a challenge for retailers is to how, when do people buy basketball shoes? Because the basketball season for a high school kid is not the same as the basketball season for college. It's not the same for the basketball season for the pros. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And I think like, you know, my curiosity about this whole thing is like how much integration comes through the app, you know, is that something that, you know, they're already pretty good. Like I, I I don't, I only have experience at like the Santa Monica store here and I'm not sure how many stores you could probably talk to that Jacques. But the one thing that was really cool about Santa Monica is you can go in and you can look up a shoe on your app and you can actually have them pull your size without even, ta- you know, without even talking to somebody. You could have like, say, I want a yep. size 13. I want to try this shoe on. And you walk into the store and somebody's got it there for you, which is pretty cool. It definitely makes, you know, the experience a lot quicker. You don't have to be, you know, like standing around waiting for somebody nearly as much as you used to. Yeah. Yeah, the experience, the retail experience is changing. And even at this, like this Melrose store, they have curbside pickup. So you could literally use your app to order something and someone will bring it to you curbside. You don't even have to get out of your car to pick it up. Awesome. Uh, They have, (laughs) they have like lockers. If you do want to get out, say you want to get out, you want to go look inside the store or you buy something, you can just have them stored in the locker that's on premises. Um, and you, when you get to the store, you just scan your, your barcode on your phone. It opens up the locker, and you just grab your shoes and walk out. Um, so they're doing, a lot of, they're doing a lot of cool stuff in that regard. And just like Nick mentioned, like you can scan something in your app, and then you can choose whether you want someone to bring it to you or if you want them to put it inside of a dressing room for you. Um, so you can put together like, a, like an entire outfit, basically, and have them and say, oh, you don't have to carry the clothes around. Basically, you just scan in your app and say, take it to a dressing room. And when you're ready, you know, you re- request product and someone will pull the product for you and have it waiting for you in a dressing room. It's pretty intense. It's pretty crazy. Like what the, the kind of things that you're able to do um, with, with that stuff and with that data. And, that, and, that, and I feel like that helps them as well. Because I imagine if there's a certain thing that a lot, a lot of people are pulling to wear to try on, but nobody's buying it, like that's going to be informative versus something that people are are pulling to try on and then a lot of people are buying it like they're going to say okay what is it about this what's the difference between these two things and they can really use that data to help parse that information and really you know i guess really develop um how they stock items and better ways to stock items because they're getting like really really lots of data right then and there 
about how to how to move that way. And I feel like that's probably going to be a model that rolls out in general, I would say, across retail everywhere. Um, Nike's just probably one of the first to do it. I'm sure they're not the first, but they're one of the first to kind of embrace it that way. I think, too, like the, the other part of it is, you know, when, when somebody has the app in their in their hand, you know, you're, it's so much more valuable than any other type of marketing or so much more valuable than any type of, you know, money that's being spent to get in touch with customers. You know, like, like you can't beat the fact that if somebody is willing to have your app on their phone and you can ping them with whatever information, sale, you know, release info kind of stuff, like that just becomes that much more powerful for a brand or for a company. So for Nike, it makes sense to, to continue to push as much of the digital stuff onto people as possible because that's that's just going to mean that they have a more intimate relationship with them as it grows. Absolutely. Going So now going from the digital space to, I guess, continuing in the digital space to sneaker customizers who generally we know from afar, it looks like Nike is actually doing an official collab with a customizer, which is not something that generally happens. I would say generally if you're a collaborator on a Nike product, you're either an artist or you're a designer or... Um, uh, yeah, well, really a creative, really a creative in some way that hasn't been like customizers. Customizers have always seemed to get the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They've always they've never really had um, they don't get the light. I guess the brands don't really look on them favorably. Um, it seems uh, obviously recently that's changed with the, the trend in like uh, pro athletes getting their shoes customized for the game day and for the floor and stuff like that. But actually having a customizer getting official collab, that's not something that happens very often. Um, I can't even think of anyone off the top of my head. Everyone that I'm thinking about is either like an, a graffiti artist or fine art or designer or something like that. Um, Nick, you probably know a lot more in this area than I do. Is there any customizers that you know? that have gotten like official collabs with the brand? Uh, I mean, the, sh- the shoe surgeon comes to mind. Um, I know he did some stuff with Jordan where they actually did an event uh, and, you know, he kind of taught and, and taught the Nike team, but also like, you know, a small group of consumers. Um, and then I know that uh, Mosh has done, um, you know, like a, I believe it was a Puma collab with through finish line where he did, you know, uh, I think there was like 300 pairs or something like that. Pretty limited, pretty, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, I think the, the goal with all of that is like keeping it pretty high energy and, you know, cause like we talked about a few different times, I think that like art is, art can be polarizing and all the brands, all the retailers don't want to spend a bunch of money on, you know, let's say 5,000 pairs of shoes if, only you know, ten percent of the people are actually going to like them. That's the quickest way I think right. you could probably just waste a lot of production money. Um, but I, I do think that like to, to you know going back to even like the conversation about the Nike by Melrose, like the this kind of localized stuff and the ability of people to create their own following and you know like you, you look at like I mean shoe surgeon or mosh those guys have hundreds of thousands of followers and they've put their custom shoes on you know hundreds of athletes or hundreds of you know really influential people and it just you know like that's kind of the future is like you're going to be more and more focused i think with these types of things Mm -hmm. but i still think that there's going to be hesitancy from 
the brand side of things to commit to somebody, you know, um, and, and Tiffany, you might be able to talk to this a little bit better, but I, I think like the production costs to, you know, go down the, the road with, you know, shoes that aren't maybe just colors is probably just so expensive for the brands that they've got to play it safe still, even though we're seeing more and more of it here and there, it's still like they're treading lightly to get into this. Yeah, I think it's, you know, interesting. Like I, the, the shoes, some of them don't seem like much of a collab. I mean, there's a couple logo changes, you know, like there's some writing on a sock liner. I mean, there's like performance wise, material wise, are, are there changes there? Like, I think there's levels of customization. Like the easiest is doing a sock liner top cloth or or maybe a box or something. Mm -hmm. And then you get into just switching out materials. Then you get into higher and higher levels, like kind of like Kanye, where, you know, he gets to impact the entire design and the, the shapes and the materials and the technologies that are involved. And so I like that it's getting more local, like you were saying, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised by it, to be honest. Um, I feel like back in the day, you know, several years ago, the customizers were not, you know, like they, they were definitely frowned upon, like, you know, why are you changing up the product? But nowadays, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I don't know. I'm, I've got a lot of mixed feelings about it, to be honest. Do you happen to... Yeah, and... and, and- I was saying, let, let's be, let me uh, just clarify here. Uh, the shoes are created by Julian Gaines. Uh, he goes by the name Juwop, uh, which is Jew working on projects. And just to give you guys a little information about the program, uh, he's actually doing the shoes in collaboration with Nike. He's setting up a four-day summer camp on Chicago's South Side with a series of programs and art, writing, and more than 40 team participants. Um, it'll end up with a pop-up shop uh, at Chicago's Norte, where Juwop and the Nike Game Worn Collection will be available on July 21st and a thoughts scholarship experience to 500 kids across the city, um, which is pretty cool. So like, I love that this is like a bigger program. It's not just him doing a shoe that it's obviously rolling into something bigger for kids. And for those that don't recognize Julian Gaines name, he's the one that did the bleach splattered, um, and, uh, Levi's air Jordan fours from earlier this year, uh, which I'm pretty sure you're familiar with because they were all over the internet. Um, so it's really cool to see, uh, this, something like this, but Tiffany said something really interesting and it's something that I don't like to nitpick at, but it's something that always kind of sat in the back of my mind is what really is a collaboration? Um, Is it just you change the colors on a shoe? Is it that you have a sock liner on a regular color of the shoe? Is it that the the tag has changed? Do you have to change the materials for it to be a collaboration? Do you have to change a bit of the design of the shoe for it to be a collaboration? That's that's something that's always kind of stuck in my mind and I've never, I I guess there's never really an answer for that. and maybe the word collaboration is thrown around a little too much. Um, like when I think of a collab, I think back to what Brooklyn Projects did with like the Nike SB Dunk, where they changed it to the um, the brain and the rain and blood, where they had like the brown. They changed the materials and made it brown, and they had like the blood splatter on it, and then they had like the T-shirt that went with it. It was like this whole kind of collection around it. But at the same time, you hear stuff where people just do a color change. And it's like, this is a collab. So 
where where is that line? And I, and I and I and you guys may not have the answer to that, so I'm just kind of throwing it out there. If you guys have thoughts on it, like where is that line of what's an official collaboration and what's a color change, or are all those in the basket? I mean, I think. I, go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I think that collaboration is is something like the just the term collab right is like something that you know. I, we created this problem as consumers, right? Like for the longest time, that was the only thing that was hyped, you know, like there would be, you know, 30 Air Max One colorways in a year. And then there would be, you know, five that were a collaboration where a boutique came in or an artist came in and did their version of it. And that created all of the hype and all of the brands pushing to do more and more. I mean, some of these brands have done, you know, Reebok did, what 20 collaborations on the question for the question's 20th anniversary like that's just a lot of shoes to push out in a year on top of you know probably the other however many more that you're doing on a regular basis and i think that's the craziest part about this is like it it's like we've kind of created the monster here it's kind of like the resale business too like that kind of has has taken things to new levels and directions that i don't know that everybody would really want to go if if we had the choice, but I think that, you know, to Tiffany's point about the timing, uh, you know, the, the time that it takes to create these types of things, um, you know, if somebody's just coming in and saying, cool, let me, let me have like, take for instance, finish line, our buyers would go in and say, we want this exclusive colorway. Now, is that a collaboration? Not really. It's just saying what color, in my opinion, at least it's just saying what colors sell the best for that particular retailer. Um, and I also think that, you know, from my perspective, I think a collaboration has to be, there has to be enough substance there, like you said, maybe not necessarily in volume of product, but absolutely, you know, a relationship because that's where like things actually come about that are, are good, right? Like if people know each other and can vibe off of each other and create something together, that to me is a collaboration. But I don't know. What what do you think, Tiffany? So I think it having worked on several collabs and several just colorway changes and stuff, um, I think it if you boil it back down to the athlete, right? Like brands originally partnered with athletes because I mean, brands partner with anyone because it means they'll sell more shoes and create more energy. When they partner with an athlete, in general, they get better performance out of the product because they get insights from that exceptional player. When they partner with a non-athlete, it's generally a colorway thing, right? Because the whole, I think the whole world of sneaker interest is still growing. But now you have people that are actually designing shoes. Like the amount of images from i'm not kidding like 14 15 year old kids on instagram of them designing shoes is amazing and some of those things that they're designing in there are super novel like you're right that would change how that product felt entirely i think it would be interesting if they went and found those kids and those people that are actually inventing new things or have performance updates or comfort updates that maybe the brand isn't seeing uh, I think of that as a real true collab. Like when it when it engineering wise changed something about the product, I think the colorway changes now with Nike ID and all that. Like they're that's an easy probably an easy win, and I, I don't think of those as collabs at all. But 
as people continue to get more knowledgeable about sneakers and start really designing them more and more, I think that'd be super cool. And it would also improve the performance of the product. So it's, it kind of seems like a, a win-win, but I don't, I don't know of anyone that's actually doing that. That's interesting. Looking at it, looking at it from that angle, it's really more uh, taking the collab as something that improves the functionality of the shoe or adjusts the functionality of the, of the shoe in a way that benefits the consumer in the end, as opposed to something as simple as the look of a shoe or something like that. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I think you have too- to remember. Well, you have to remember that all these brands they have designers that are responsible for the look. They get paid. They're professional designers that get paid to know what should look good and they have color designers most cases so like if that team's not doing their job then you need the outside world to do it but like we talked about earlier it's a shift right the brands are no longer leading the trend the consumer is now driving the trend so like i'd hate to be in those roles yeah and i think the other thing too is like to to shock's point about talking about you know there's there's a lot involved in this particular project that we're you know where getting these 40 teens that get to participate and learn about the art, the writing, all of the stuff that's behind, you know, kind of this is something that for the most part, brands don't have time to go and, you know, take their team of designers or even like single designers. It's rare that they get out in front of the public. A lot of times, you know, you're working too much on, on things to go and have a weekend camp for kids to teach them about, sneakers or how to get into creating their own art or whatever that is. So I think that it's cool, you know, like that something like this happens, whether it's, you know, collab or custom or whatever is kind of irrelevant when like the, the value that the business of sneakers is going to get out of this from Julian going and teaching 40 or 50 kids about what he's done and his experiences with sneakers is is really valuable for the future of all of what we do, all of what the sneaker business is, and really like could inspire some of these kids to get into working for the brands down the road. So I, th- I think that to me is like the awesome part of it. Yeah, I think that's cool too. I think it could be like causes, like official causes instead of collaboration, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're helping kids and you're helping mm-hmm. people by doing a, a branded or a particularly color way, like that's awesome. I'm all for continuing to do that, but is it still a collaboration? I don't, I don't know. So would we call something like what Don C is doing? Is that a collaboration? Um, I'd have to dig into more of the details, but he's basically just swapping parts off of shoes, right? There's nothing really right. new. I would say that that's like a that's like a part swap. It's getting close to a collab. Um, I remember back in the day when we started doing that, and. Um, and you just see some really interesting product come out. Now it's just, it's, it's what collabs have turned in. It's like second level collab. First level's change the color. Second is, <laughs> is swap yeah, parts. Changing parts. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a big thing. That was a big thing uh, for, for, for Ronnie and Kith is he was doing these ASICs. And first it was like color and material changes. Uh, but then it, it kind of escalated to where he was kind of switching out parts. Yeah. Uh, for the shoes so that's that's an interesting angle as well like part one like level one level two and then like level three are which the ultimate level is when you really change a shoe in a way that makes it better or improves the functionality and which is which is a i think that's a very unique and i think that's kind of how the the progression should go right like if if i'm a if i'm a big business and i have you know a brand to protect 
or you know kind of a legacy behind me then you know it takes some level of comfort to get somebody you know like ronnie's a great example because he really did start with just like the most basics of colorways back in the day and now has like pushed and become such a kind of his own standalone brand his own you know like i would say that he's like really like this generation's like ralph lauren right like he's pushing things in directions and and creating so much energy across every part of business that I think, yeah, you know, that that to me is like what you should strive for. But I also think that like in this day and age where people think that they have half a million, you know, followers on Instagram, they should get a collaboration with Jordan. Like that's like kind of just like ridiculous to think that because you know, you have nothing that's proven. If you don't have anything that's proven that you know what you're doing as far as design or even just energy, like, you know, either of those things, like just because you have the followers doesn't mean that you have the kind of skills that go along with it or the business knowledge and the know-how that goes with actually selling products to, to consumers. So, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting topic though. Like it's almost, it's almost like maybe, maybe down the road we get to this kind of, <laughs> uh, you know how you used to have like tier zero accounts where it's like these are the like the highest of the high, you know, Nike retailers. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, the yeah. maybe the collaborations quote collaborations uh, need to have its own kind of, you know, like levels to it. Right. Where you're like, oh, I'm striving to get to, you know, tier zero collaboration so I can do my own thing with Nike or whatever. That's that's interesting. Right. It reminds me of when, you know, Jordan was untouchable for years. Like you could not. Yeah. I mean, I remember projects and people wanting to use the Jumpman and using Jordan product. It was like, nope, nobody uses it. Um, and now that that's kind of gone away, but that could be a different different level of it. But I think if you get too much of it, it becomes not interesting. Like if there's, you know, yeah, now agree. we have 100,000 different collabs, like who cares? It's just another yeah. collab. Like one will be hot here and there, and then yeah. they're kind of boring. Yeah, something that's always been interesting to me is like from an internal standpoint, um, like I remember, uh, the Jordan future came along and it was super hot for a little while. But from what I understand, the story of how that shoe came about is because someone on the Jordan brand team just made themselves a pair and was just wearing them around campus and people saw them. And that's how it actually became a shoe. Is that something that happens often? Are you guys? And I'm, so, I'm not sure if you, this is something you can reveal to us, Tiffany. Are you guys able to cobble together stuff like that on campus and wear it around? Um, I defer to comment. <laughs> Got I it. mean, okay. it, used so, to, okay. it used to be kind of a, a thing that happened a lot because you were experimenting with things. You were like, okay, what does this minimal upper feel like on this maximum tooling? Like that used to happen until it, it kind of became fire. And then, and then like you get to a point where like, that's kind of low-hanging fruit like you still need to innovate something new like come up with something totally uh, radically new um but yeah mm. i mean i would say i don't know that people do it much these days i don't know i'm not there so i don't know i mean i mean it, so my experience with that kind of stuff was uh when i was with soul collector right like one of the shoes that we released as a collab with soul collector uh was the jordan 11 comfort Right, which is like the low top with the Air Max One um, midsole and outsole, and like the the Soul Collector collab was actually like a carbon fiber, you know, version of that shoe. 
But that conversation and all of that stuff with Soul Collector started as, let's do a carbon fiber Jordan 11. And I don't know at what point it switched, you know, because I wasn't in, obviously, all those conversations along the way. But, like, the idea from Soul Collector to do the Jordan 11 in a carbon fiber was the reason that that shoe ended up happening. And then the comfort shoe kind of became like the, oh, well, we're going to do it on this one because, you know, the Jordan 11 is relatively untouchable unless you're like a Jordan athlete. Right. So, you know, to, to that point, right? Like, I wonder if the same kind of thing happened with that where like somebody was just kind of swapping things around, checking things out. And now it's like, oh, that shoe actually looks, you know, good enough or there's a, an opportunity to create some energy because, you know, the Soul Collector one was super limited. We did an event in Santa Monica to release them and all of that stuff. But it was really the only version of that shoe that wasn't just kind of like your standard cut and paste the, the upper with the midsole of another all the way through, right? Like, I feel like all of those were very, very basic, you know, top and bottom shoes. That, I mean, with that, by the way, like just swapping parts is no small task from an engineering standpoint. Oh, like yeah. everything's built on a last and they're built in a certain way to work in a certain way. Like it's not like super highly, highly engineered, like precision engineering, but Still, if you make like if you take an 11 midsole and try and put it on a 29, that's a major engineering effort, right? Because those yeah. things don't necessarily right. work together. So it's like from an engineering standpoint, I think from a collab, it depends on what you're mixing with what. Like not everything's just swappable. I don't want people thinking mm -hmm. like you can take any midsole and put it on any upper. No, <laughs> it does it. It just does not work yeah. that way. Yeah, it does not work that way for sure. I I learned that lesson at the uh, Adidas Creator Lab. Uh, when they put my shoes together and I was like, oh, well, that doesn't, okay, well, that doesn't fit there. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to, to, to think about too, like the timing of all of that really like is probably right around when like, you know, social media, camera phones, all that stuff became such a big deal, right? Like where it's like, okay, let's cut yeah. this off because, it, you know, the more of that stuff that gets out, the more of the testing stuff, the more of the stuff where it's like we're trying to figure out new ways of creating or re-engineering product and bringing in those like legacy elements like the more that gets out the less valuable it becomes once it hits the market right so i think there's there's an interesting timeline there that would be interesting to see like when like people started posting a lot of that stuff and you know because it, it used to exist on the on the like the forums nike talk and soul collector and that back in the day where you would see people from you know you, we, we kind of all knew a handful of people that worked out of the brands that were talking to us on those forums but we were keeping it under wraps because we didn't want them to get in trouble for you know like testing what they were trying to see if anybody was interested in what they were doing so yeah yeah and, and this and this kind of goes back to the whole customizer conversation because a lot of customizers are have kind of made their names through these uh mashups i guess you would say of different shoes on a different upper like a different last on a different yeah. upper or you know swapping out parts or just swapping out or doing like really high-end materials so i mean i guess that there there's a there's a business decision there as well in addition to being like oh I'll make i made this cool thing uh this improved but it's, it's more of like this is going to get my name out there and this is how people are going to find out about me too so and it's definitely resulted really in in a handful of those customizers getting like you know i would say like the actual career placement jobs with Nike, Adidas, yeah. Reebok, Asics. I know. I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a bunch of people, like if you've been in the sneaker world long enough and paying attention to the, the 
any kind of culture and community side of it, a lot of people have worked their way from like, you know, you know, jokingly, but like their mom's basement or their parents' garage into like a, an amazing career opportunity doing work for one of these major brands. So like, I'm not mad at it at all. It's awesome. If that's, that's how you get in, that's how you get in. You got to some, sometimes you got to do whatever you can to get inside the door. So I get it. For Tiffany, it was just like, oh, I'm just going to be a plastic engineer <laughs> and innovate, and, and and then I'll be and then I'll be irresistible. I just so, applied you know, online, you know, just apply online. I, yeah, yeah, I just applied online after I innovated plastic, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I didn't invent cool. plastic, so it's we're cool. clear. I did not. Invent I didn't plastic. say invent, <laughs> not invent, but you you but you were an, you were in an innovator in plastic engineering. So that says that tells me more than I know. I know already like oh, she did something that I probably And like casually do, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know Casually in the background she had like the high school volleyball trophy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a medal. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a medal. <laughs> I didn't get it Amazing. out. I should have got it out. Next time. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And speaking of speaking of high school athletics, uh, the folks over at Reebok, they've been focused on fitness for a very, very long time. Uh, I feel like Reebok has reinvented themselves as the fitness brand, especially with CrossFit. Um, CrossFit was obviously really huge a few years ago, and they dove in all the way. And it says that their their president, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, says that fitness is the future. Um, I don't know what that means. What could somebody help me here? What is fitness is the future? What does that mean? I mean, I think that for Reebok, hopefully, it's the future. Otherwise, they won't be around much longer. So, um, wow. I, I mean, and and I say that like most people that are listening to this probably know how passionate I am about that brand and the stories that are behind that brand. But like it's it's such a long way from you know kind of like the, the the fitness element for them has been like this new thing right and I think this is just a, a you know kind of like let's face the reality of like if we're not selling to the you know the CrossFit like society that exists then where do we even exist as a brand because you can't sell they're not selling enough retro product like I only buy a few shoes a year from them so. You know, like I know that there's not too many people out there that are buying like, you know, some of this legacy product that they're putting out. But I think that it's there is truth to it. Right. Like people are more and more aware of health. They're more and more conscious of what's going on in the world. You know, I think, you know, there's so much garbage going on in the world right now that, um, you know, just paying attention to how you take care of yourself is getting more and more important because we've kind of been fed all of this stuff as consumers through generations of you know marketing right like you you buy you know um, government cheese so to speak because it's the most profitable cheese for craft to create not because it's the best for you because they can manufacture it in a way mm -hmm. that is you know going to make them 98 cents on every dollar you spend so I think that like that's what they're trying to get at for the brand itself they've they've always been connected to fitness and their highest energy moments outside of probably the Allen Iverson era were, were absolutely fitness related. So um, whether that's running or, you know, kind of like the, um, the, the um, 80s, like aerobic type stuff like that, that became super popular where they were just like the front runner in that. And I think they were for a little bit with, with CrossFit, right? Like Nike stepped in and, and took yeah. a lot of that market. But 
you know, I think that the future of a lot of this stuff definitely has to, for them, has to be in like performance oriented product. Yeah, I mean, the the particular articles from Footwear News, I think, and um, they say in there that they want to use their backstory and their foundation to build a modern version of fitness. Now, modern version of fitness, I love it. Like the idea that, that we're going to wake up tomorrow and there's a new version of fitness that's like easier, right. easier to get into, the product's more comfortable, like you actually want to get up and do it every day, you know, like that. I think that would be amazing. And if they focus on it, I really love their latest product. I think that would be super cool. I mean, I'm not into leotards and jazzercising. <laughs> so if that's there, I'm not yeah. in, but... I don't know. <laughs> I would say too that, uh, that that DMX cushioning, probably one of the most important cushionings, you know, systems of I would say all time. It, it was basically just like if you got into it in the '90s when they released like the DMX Run series and and a lot of those offshoots. You know, some of the Iverson shoes had it. You like that was like pinnacle cushioning. Like it was something that like you probably thought was the most comfortable shoe you ever wore. And now they're looking to like bring back a new DMX. So uh, in 2020. And I think that is kind of like the, it, it's a good foundation for a shift in direction for a company, right? Like if you look at like Nike and visible air or Nike and zoom air, or, you know, more recently Adidas and boost, like those types of focus on the technology always result in not always a large percentage of the time result in something awesome for the brand. So hopefully this does that for Reebok. Yeah. And for those that don't know, DMX is like this, um, I guess you would call it moving air where like they had a certain amount of air in the bottom of the shoe and it would move based on your pressure points and cushioning and rebound in a certain way. Um, Definitely something I would say look into um, just because it's just something different. But back on the fitness train for, for Reebok, um, yeah, I think uh, their, their, their huge focus in fitness has really paid off for, for them, especially when they got out of basketball. That kind of left them, I would say that left them out of the energy market, but it's almost like they found their lifeline in the fitness world, um, which may have been something that they've always been necessarily a part of, um, but just it just wasn't highlighted by the brand as much um, because obviously basketball shoes tend to take up the majority of the market share when it comes to like that marketing side of things. But with them making that move into CrossFit and really building that brand and having this new focus on fitness, you can really see how, how things are moving for them. So I think that's very exciting. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. All right. With that being said, uh, last story before we get out of here is about Super Heroic. So I don't know how many of you guys know about Super Heroic. It started by a guy named Jason Maiden. It's a line just for kids, basically. And it um, it's inspired by a child's imagination and being a superhero and you being the superhero you are as a kid. And the, kid, the, the shoes come in a really cool packaging that when you open it up, it goes super heroic and it comes with a cape and there's like a uh, there's like a card inside and the packaging is really nice. It's super kid friendly um, and it's really made to to inspire kids. But there is some talk on the Internet um, about Nike and their new future series for young athletes and how it seems very similar to the super heroic brand. Um, now, this is not. I feel like this is something that kind of happens a lot um, and we're not even this take this away from Nike in particular, but it seems like you see this a lot when something kind of gets popular that kind of bubbles up from beneath 
you see brands have their own take on it and it kind of feels like that's what nike is doing with this um this is our i mean this can this conversation could go a bunch of different ways it's like why do businesses do this um but i guess I guess that that is really the question. Why why do businesses do this? Why don't they innovate in their own way? And why is it that they kind of tap into the consciousness of the uh, of the greater community? Feel free, either of you. To answer. Okay. <laughs> I was for Nick. Um, I think it's I think it's an interesting. I think Jason, what he's done and his story behind Superheroic is is just amazing. You know, it's based on his son and getting out and getting more fit and. I love that story, and and that storyline to me is very different than the storyline that Nike's telling. Like, I I think, you know, things at Nike take a long time from a concept all the way to deliver a campaign like that. It doesn't happen overnight, you know? So, in theory, right. if you think, like, they were working on it for a couple of years, probably, maybe longer, and Jason's company launched, what, a couple of years ago now also? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, to me, you know, I, I think there's a lot of coincidence out there. And I think anything that helps getting kids moving should coexist because, you know, there's all kinds right. of different ideals about it. There's all kinds of things. And super heroic's really fun. I mean, a cape, like how awesome is that? I, yeah, I want right? adult capes. Like <laughs> where's the adult version? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think Nike's offering capes. They're not, they're looking at it more as like the athletes that will become professionals they're the future pros right so there's there's right. two different angles to it um now i i think it is too bad if i had a startup and you know a kind of novel idea and then nike started producing it if it, if it was good an idea a good enough idea you know nike's going to produce it at some point now whether they copy you or it's a coincidence is really hard to say but it definitely would be concerning for me. Like, I mean, Nike's so powerful and they have so much space. Like, there's a point where, like, collab. Do it together because you're both doing good for people, right? Like, do it together. Yeah, right. If you can. Yeah, I mean, and I, I kind of take, like, the other side of that conversation, right? I, I absolutely think, like, they should coexist. Like, whatever you can do to get kids thinking, you know, about health, about fitness, about all of those things is, is absolutely like the most important piece. My experience, you know, like moving from place to place is that a lot of times when people are in a position where they are really passionate about something, they'll, they'll, you know, maybe run into roadblocks that exist. You know, corporate environment is always tough to navigate. And when somebody's really passionate, like specifically Jason, you know, like he, I feel like, you know, I feel like if you don't 100%, if you're not 100% going down the, the path that you want to go down with a company, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't, you know, look elsewhere and create your own thing. Like that to me is like way more right. fulfilling. Now, my experience with a lot of the companies that I've worked for is that, you know, the people, when, when someone that's that valuable leaves the company, I think that those companies try to um, listen after it's too late. You know, like um, if somebody's there that's pushing ideas and pushing an energy for a company that can, you know, and then decides to step away from it, it's really hard to fill that void. And even on teams that I've had, when somebody that, that we really depend on leaves, it's hard to kind of move forward 
without just like looking at that person and saying, wow, how did we lose this person, the opportunities to create with this person? And you almost like default, you know, to, well, this is what they were talking about kind of thing. But, you know, I also totally think that there's, you know, so much coincidence, you know, not necessarily coincidence. I think that we're all in the same kind of path in life in some regard or another. So like the, the ideas that come, you know, in our conversations here on this podcast can absolutely exist in another podcast that we've never listened to, you know, like that's kind of just the way the, the, the flow, the ebb and flow of like creation and product and marketing and all of our lives kind of roll together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes it does. Absolutely. Energy. You know, I feel like no one has like that idea isn't just yours. It probably floats around in a lot of different places and how it's executed is is all up to the individual. Um, And uh, the need for kids to get out and be active is is something obviously that's been floating around for a while. And it looks like Nike took this angle. Jason took his angle. Um, So both can coexist i would love for them to do a collaboration together that'd be amazing for nike to collab with superheroic i think that'd be really awesome but anyway well with that being said uh hope you guys enjoyed the show today i really uh i really enjoyed the show today lots of lots of cool topics uh customizers and collabs and stuff like that it's stuff that's really really close to me um not that i've ever done it it's just something that i'm really passionate about and i love the people that do it i just see their work and i'm so fascinated by it so to be able to talk to you two about that was pretty awesome anyway uh, as always, guys, I uh, want to make sure you uh, follow us. You can follow us on the outside pods on Twitter and Instagram. And then obviously you can follow me. That's Jacques.Slate. Actually, that's not. It's my email. <laughs> Get my email address. Good Lord. Um, and your phone number. Uh, my, and my phone number. Uh, I'm at Custo all over the Internet, Twitter, Instagram, all of those places. And, uh, yeah, again, if this was an omelet, <laughs> I, I just I, I'm, I'm the oil. Uh, that you cook with uh, that makes everything uh, go a lot smoother and these two are they're they're the substance they are the veggies they are the things that matter in this conversation so Nick go ahead tell them where they can find you Uh, Nick Engvall N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L on all platforms and a site called Sneaker History at Sneaker History on all platforms but really I'm just uh, the hot sauce so Tiffany tell them where they can find you I guess I'm the salt and pepper. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Tiffany Beers, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y, B as in boy, E-E-R-S, and at YouTube and Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, with that being said, guys, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening slash watching. We really do appreciate it. Hope you're learning something, getting some good information. And again, if you want to tell us that you hate us or that you love us or if there's a topic you want us to discuss, make sure you leave it in the comments either on YouTube or leave it in the comments on Instagram or leave it on the comments on SoundCloud or anywhere you can find us. Let us know. We're definitely listening and we appreciate your feedback. Uh, With that being said, we enjoy you guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see slash hear from you next week. Peace.